Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, how to be persuasive in a presentation, part one of two. Hi everyone, this is Mike, and welcome to Manager Tools. Starting with today's cast and ending with next week's, we're going to describe how to think about being persuasive in a presentation. One of the most maligned arts in professional life today is persuasion. The classic case of persuasion falling out of favor is how often professional salespeople are viewed as golfers with big expense accounts. Or perhaps even more perniciously, why is it that all of the sales roles in technology firms are called business development? Well, sales is associated with persuasion, and that taint keeps far too many managers from embracing the real value of persuasion. But you all know we have to do it, right? Well, admit it. You know that you're going to be called upon to persuade others. Just because you wish you could just make people do what you want, or that they would just see it your way, doesn't change the fact that every manager is expected to be persuasive. Well, here's how to begin to think about it. Here we go. Some people say that you just like to talk, um, <laughs> but, but you love to talk about persuasion. I definitely, uh, I definitely do. It's one of those tools that every manager has to have in her kit bag, uh, in her toolbox, in her manager toolbox. And yet almost no managers that I interact with think about it, know what it really is, or for that matter, how to do it, or even more specifically, how it is that they do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of topics that we like to cover, but this one, you seem to have even more energy around than most. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, um, it's a function of my background. Uh, it comes from my experience in sales. Um, when I interviewed, God, it's been 20, 20 plus years ago, um, getting out of the service, I said, I told the recruiter, I said, look, I'm an engineer by schooling. I've led lots of folks. I should go into operations or manufacturing. That makes the most sense based on my background. It's a yeah. good, good trajectory. Uh, and luckily for me, he said, well, I, I think you ought to consider sales. Um, now at the time, I thought he was really just suggesting I keep my options open. Um, you know, even though I knew I could do the corporate jobs that interested me, I also knew that I hadn't a clue about how to get them. Um, and, and to me at the time, the whole concept of a Heisman Trophy winner having to play tennis and, you know, interviewing in order to get a job, even though you've almost done that job before, it, it made sense to me. I understood the artificial reality of interviewing. So again, I, I just assumed that it was a smart tactic to leave doors open. And he was just saying, Hey, don't, don't narrow yourself. I did not know at the time that he perceived me to be a very persuasive guy. So. Yeah, well, well, you know that I think you're one of the smartest people I know, but <laughs> that story just proves that maybe you're not because every yeah. person I knew at the time that knew you said you belong in sales. I yeah, I did not know that at the time. No, in a way, I was lucky though. I not only knew what I wanted, I knew that I was qualified for it. You know, in yeah, my you, case, what you mean what you mean when you got out when you were when you were interviewing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Because in my case, information technology, the standards are much more rigorous. And 
objective, which absolutely appeals to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that I might not know enough about interviewing. Of course, that's why I called you. Yeah. But as far as the work, not the transition, it was clear to me. Yeah, it is funny how things happen that way at, at key inflection points. My lack of clarity, I mean, really, honestly, that's what it was initially, was a help to me in the same way that your clarity was a help to you. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. So you ended up in sales, and I, I assume then that's what got you focused on persuasion. Yeah. Oh, it was very, very obvious to me. Uh, it was like, okay, if I boil this job down, I have to persuade people of something. Uh, and, and I learned that as I started spending time in sales and marketing, that there were a lot of professionals who had disdain for the sales force. I mean, we, we could probably talk about that for hours. Uh, I think part of the problem is Salesforce is not being in the office with everyone else where relationships are different and so on. But my point here is just that I realized everybody – and when I looked around, when I paid attention, everybody was always persuading or at least trying to persuade. That was their intent. But only some of us knew the hows and whys of it. And it did happen to be when I say us, I don't mean me specifically. I just mean sales forces in general tend to be better at it. It was interesting when we talked about doing a podcast on persuasion. It concerned me a little bit because, frankly, I think there are many of our listeners right mm -hmm. now who have only stuck with us so far on this cast because of the other help we've given them. Yeah. There's enough disdain, let's be honest, disrespect for persuasion that plenty of folks don't even want to listen in to our point of view on it, I think. Yeah, e even when part of them knows that they need to get better at it and their dark night of their soul, they know, gosh, I want to be more persuasive. I want to get my, my ideas across. I want to help. I want to motivate other people to see things my way. Look, even leadership, let's be honest, even leadership is persuasion, right? It's about, it's about motivating others to align and act behind a particular vision or, or idea. And that's persuasion. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's help them. Right. With this cast, we're going to introduce our persuasion matrix and then describe some recommended actions based on that matrix. Exactly. We've got two, really two major parts of the cast. In the first part, we're going to describe the matrix. Okay. It's a two by two. Okay. We, uh, not all matrices are two by two, but. Uh, all manager uh, told uh, matrices. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems. Yeah. Actually, though, but think about it. Think about our retention matrix, right? It's a three by three. Right? Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Low, medium, high. But anyway, okay. So in part one, we describe the matrix. We lay it all out, the, the, the rationale behind it and, and, and the picture itself. And in part two, we put the, the, the matrix to use by describing based on where you are in each of the four quadrants, what actions you should take to be more persuasive with your professional peers, subordinates, and, and superiors. Okay. So, so basically, briefly, part one is the matrix, and there are two parts of that. The components of persuasion, we want to be clear about what, what we consider to be the components of persuasion, and then how the component part two, or, or, I'm sorry, the second part of part one is how the components make the matrix. Uh, and then in part two, we're going to talk about how to use the matrix. And there are four quadrants, Q1 and Q2 on the top, Q3 and Q4 on the bottom, and they relate to, essentially, we'll lay out how relationships and expertise, both strong and weak in each area, fill up all the four quadrants and what again what to do okay all right well then let's let's get on with part one the persuasion matrix now we talked about uh, persuasion but we really can talk about the components of professional persuasion yeah um uh well in, in order i don't just want to draw a picture of the matrix and then and then have people guess so let's let's take a few moment and talk about the components and how we got where we got um we as we see it there are three components of professional persuasion 
for those of you who are wondering how we're going to fit three components into a two by two matrix, um, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, we like that you're not only uh, thinking ahead, but um, we promise it will make some sense here. Yeah, good good point. I guess I guess as I say three, and then I think about the two, I already have it in my head, right? Uh, um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> there are three powers or, or components that determine one's ability to persuade in most professional situations, and they are relationship power, expertise power, and role power. Okay, let's take each in turn. Okay. Uh, so relationships. Relationship power at work is really pretty easy to understand. But of course, the vast majority of us really stink at it because we don't invest in it. We, we, we know how to create relationships. I mean, well, actually, we do, many of us do create relationships all the time. Although, to be honest, we do it in such a informal way, we may not actually know how to reproduce it. Uh, and I think for most managers, particularly those, let's be honest, particularly those who uh, are in technical fields or in, in less uh, fields that require less persuasion, at least on the surface, they would say, uh, look, when it comes to relationships, I, I want it to be easy. I wanted to just have it happen naturally. I want people to like me and so on. Unfortunately, that's somewhat akin to having a college degree just happen naturally, right? I just want to be able to hang around and have fun and then have somebody hand me a degree. It's it's a silly concept. But, but okay, so so relationships are the reason we say relationships are important is because if you think about it, folks, isn't it easier to persuade somebody who with whom you have a long-standing relationship? They know you, they know your skills and abilities, your credibility, all those kind of things. That makes sense to most people. So that's why we include relationship power as part of, as one of the key components of being able to be persuasive. And let's be clear that relationship power here, as we're talking about, is a measure of the strength of your relationship with others to the extent that you can motivate them to do things simply because they know and trust you personally. No, no, look, we can go into more detail. Uh, usually this takes the form of an evaluation and, and for your close friends and close associates, it's, a, it's, a, it's an almost immediate evaluation or it happens in the background. It's an evaluation of your emotional and ethical character. But for now, we don't really need to drill down that far, okay? For now, we're just thinking about how relationships in general affect your ability to make things happen in an organization. And we believe that most people uh, can get a pretty good sense of how how strong their relationship is with someone else, and that will help you determine how best to persuade those people. So wait, though. You're saying that relationships matter. Uh, yes. And and that would mean that my belief in the power of my role is perhaps misplaced? Hmm. That people won't do things just because I've been given some magical power? (laughs) Not unless they work for you and you don't need them to keep doing it over and over again in the future. Oh, man. Hearts are breaking all across the world tonight. (laughs) But, But kidding aside, though, now might be a good time to talk about role power just a bit. Yeah, okay. I was going to cover it last, but as you wish. Um, uh, it's certainly the easiest to talk about. Role power is simply the formal authority that the organization grants you in order to facilitate the accomplishment of the firm's objectives. It's necessary. It clearly exists. That's that sign on your boss's forehead, folks. And there are certainly situations where role power is all you need to be persuasive. And for, in fact, if you use nothing but role power, that form of persuasion is, is often called coercion. Coercion is persuasive, right? I mean, it, it does motivate people to do things that you want them to do. It, it may not be long lasting. It may not be something that you can invest in. It may not be, um, 
valuable in the long run, but but there are times when coercion actually works. Um, so we, we can't ignore role power in any discussion about persuasion. All right. Well, but our two-to-by-two two matrix doesn't have role power on it. So no. <laughs> if, if that's true, then why are we ignoring it? Ah, good point. Um, we're not really ignoring it so much as we're leaving it out of our recommended calculations or thought processes as managers try to figure what's the best way for me to approach this particular persuasive situation I'm in. The reason we're leaving it out is because the vast majority of managers that I talk to, that I where we work with, vastly overestimate the role that power plays in persuasion. They basically think, well, because I have this power, people should just do it. And and if you put it as a triangulation of role and relationship and expertise, people so overestimate that they 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 don't they're not willing to invest in in relationships or expertise or expertise. Um, um, role basically, our perceptions of our own role power really skew our understandings of the other components. We've discovered that when we ask managers to assess their role power as it impacts a persuasive moment, they basically say, well, I can overrule my subordinates, but I have no role persuasion with my boss or with my peers. And those analyses are are true, but they're not news, and we don't see them helping people do things differently or be more effective. So in my experience, role power mainly confuses managers when they think about persuasion, and so we don't address it. Okay, well, that, I expected a simple answer, but I got a pretty comprehensive one. So yeah, sorry about that. I probably probably overkilled there. I mean, really, we do we do believe in role power. Obviously, we do. Uh, you know, we 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 joke about tell your boss the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Right, which is a, a perversion of scripture. But but look, uh, it exists. And it doesn't help to think about it. Um, it. It becomes a very black and white issue. Yes, I have power with that person. But I, I know there's danger. I didn't really allude to this, but there's a danger in thinking if I don't have enough relationship or expertise power, I can I can use the role power. And 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 you start you get lazy and you start using role power too much. And let's say you use it on your subordinates, but you don't have enough power with your peers or boss to get something done. And so your plan doesn't go through through, but your peers have been, your, your subordinates have feel slightly coerced. Um, I, I, I think that's a huge negative in the long term. And I, quite frankly, part of the reason it's worth not talking about is because any manager who uses role power any more than they absolutely have to, and quite frankly, it's simply out of laziness, uh, um, essentially gives managers a bad name. And it's what people don't like about their bosses. So we don't we don't spend any time on it. That's yeah, all. Yeah, the, the Dilbert manager would have a one by one matrix. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so look, let, let's let's talk briefly about expertise power. That's the the second part of our two by two in, in the in the two by two by three or two by two by one matrix we've got uh, expertise power. This is look. This is simply how much you are respected for your technical or industry specific knowledge or skills. And I'm not talking broadly. It may be about one particular item. For instance, if you're asked to become the Six Sigma or the Green Belt expert, you may not be a genius about your entire industry, but you go and study and learn and and prove that you know what needs to be known in order to implement Green Belt or Six Sigma in your organization. That is technical knowledge. That is specific knowledge. That is industrial knowledge that is helpful to you. Um, the question here is, how smart and accomplished are you relative to the persuasion you're going to be engaged in? 
You get credit, and you know, funny, funnily enough, that that word sure sounds like credibility, doesn't it? You get credit for your knowledge as it relates to the topic that's under under uh, the the auspices of this persuasive moment. Um, it, it all boils down to something pretty basic, something that happens in grade school and high school. It boils down to if I'm going to be persuaded by you, it boils down to how much do I like this person, relationships, how good are they at this thing, expertise, and do they have any official power, which in school rarely does pe- do people have that. You think about that for a second and you realize that that construct how much do I like this person? How good are they at this thing? And do they have any official power? You realize that would work at almost any age in almost any situation. So expertise and relationships are the most effective and efficient ways to analyze persuasive credibility. Yep. And then we built the matrix to help the manager tools community think about persuasion. So let's walk through how the components make the matrix. Yeah, how, exactly. Where they fit into the matrix. It is pretty, pretty simple. Uh, it's just a standard two by two matrix, two variables. And to make it easy, we're going to restrict those variables to only two values, high or low. And that's what gives us the two by two. Um, and, and look, for now, there, there's more to be said about this later. And we're going to dig deeper into this because, because managers, for, for managers who are listening, if you'll spend just a little bit of time, this is a powerful leverage tool, the, 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 the concept or the focus on persuasion. Um, because a little bit of work in this area gets you a lot of benefit because nobody else is doing it or very few other people are doing it. So we're not going to fl- try to slice things too finely today. Um, because if we start slicing things finely and give you a scale of one to 10 or whatever else, you'd really have to kind of start believing your measurements have an enormous amount of value. And we don't need that yet. Um, we, and we really haven't even discussed how to measure things um, as subjective as relationships or expertise. We're going to give you a way to think about it, but, but, but it's going to be a very, very uh, broad uh, spectrum that's only going to give you a higher, lower, a stronger, weak score. Okay. So, so on the matrix, this two by two matrix, we have strong and weak relationships and then strong and weak expertise. Now, which, which is on which axis? Yeah. It's, yeah okay, good. Um, relationships are on the Y axis. So stronger relationships would be represented graphically as higher, if you will, a higher Y score. And expertise is on the X axis. So stronger expertise would graphically be further to the right. If you've got a number, if you end up being high and high, you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, um, you're far up to the right on, on a, on a graph. It might be what we might call Northeast. And if you have weak expertise and weak relationship, you would be Southwest, so to speak. Okay. That gets us to the standard two by two matrix. So we have Q1, Q2 on the top, and then right. Q3, Q4 on the bottom. Right. Q1, strong relationships, weak expertise. Okay, that's the top left. Right. Top right quadrant, Q2 is strong relationships and strong rela- expertise. Right. And down at the bottom left is Q3, weak relationships and weak expertise. Right. And then quadrant four is weak relationships and strong expertise. Yeah. And now, now look, we don't have to go any further than this to help to ask people to say something or to, to help people in, in this way. We'd say, look, um, you should be evaluating for any person who has a say in your discussion. You should be evaluating how what, how strong you would evaluate your relationship and how strong you believe they perceive your expertise to be on this particular topic. Okay. And, and, and you could then map 
everybody. It's not just your boss. It may be his or her peers. It may be your team. It may be other people in the organization. It may be your boss's boss. Or you don't want to, you don't want to scope this down too tightly. You could essentially put their names in any one of the four quadrants based on any, you could use any uh, uh, evaluation tool you wanted, right? I mean, you, you could say, well, I'm going to say he's a high or low. I, I, I will say this. There is, um, a, a, a simple sort of a gross technique we have. Um, it, it, it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just not, uh, it's not as detailed as some people might like. But quite frankly, early on, when you start using this tool, you don't want to use, as I alluded to earlier, really, really fine instruments when in fact, <laughs> you, you, we're not that good at it yet, right? It's like teaching a high school or a grade school kid to use a micrometer. Well, okay, they'll get a very exact reading, but I'm not sure they know exactly what the reading means. Think of it this way. Look, take each of the people that you've got to evaluate um, and and ask yourself, how strong is my relationship with them on a scale of one to five? Your best friend is a five. Somebody who dislikes you intensely is a one, Okay. Um, and the same thing for their perception of your expertise. A lot of times when on a one to five scale, a lot of times people say, well, my expertise is a three. So I'm going to give myself a three for everybody. That's wrong thinking. The way to think about this is how would he or she think about my expertise? Probably compared to your peers, your subordinates in most cases will give you a higher score than your peers and your expertise. That's not unusual. That's where role power, in a way, indirectly, is included here in our in our two by two. Um, and, so, and, and this can differ based upon the domain you're talking about, right? Because I could be talking, oh, gosh, to, yeah. I could be talking yeah. to my boss about manufacturing and be strong in expertise. Yep, and, and be talking to him about human resources issues and be weak in that domain. Yeah, it's topic specific and it's person specific. Okay, so before we get to uh, how to use the matrix, in other words, okay, depending upon where you would put a particular person in terms of strong and weak credit uh, relationship and strong and weak uh, expertise, uh, let's talk about how to assess it in order to get to strong and weak. The easiest thing to do is just say, okay, is my, is my relationship with this person strong or weak? That's, that's one way to do it. Um, that's, that's the, I guess, the least fine analysis you could do. Um, and, and that's an overall assessment. Uh, if you need more detail, it has to do with e- uh, emotional and ethical uh, uh, um, credibility, if you will, how, how um, what your character is as far as emotionally and, and ethically with the person. Um, and, and then also when it comes to expertise, whether they see you on this topic and this individual as either strong or weak. Here's the way we suggest you do it. Um, list the people that are going to be involved in your persuasive effort. Don't, don't scope it down, rather scope it up. If you're uncertain about whether somebody's gonna be involved, include them. You know, if this is a case where you're briefing your boss's boss's uh, staff meeting, your boss's boss would be included, your boss and all of his or her peers would be included, and perhaps even your subordinates would be included if in fact they would be involved in the implementation. Uh, it's better to have a longer list rather than a shorter list. And basically you make the list vertically and then you put two columns to the right of the list. One is relationship power and one is, is expertise. Um, and you ask yourself for each person, um, how do I evaluate my relationship that, with this person and how do I evaluate their, their perception of my expertise on this topic? When, it, when we say relationship, here's a way to do it. Give yourself a score of one to five. 
Okay, that's all. Just write down a number between one to five. And then when it comes to expertise, again, write down a number between one and five. It is not, you don't write down the same number for everyone simply because your analysis of your expertise on this topic is a three or a two or a four. That's not the point. The question is, how does that individual perceive you on this particular topic? Right. Anyone. So, so you might get noticeably different expertise scores from different people at different times. Right. And it's, and it's, it's your expertise probably relative to their expertise on the topic. So although you on an absolute scale might be a 4.5, if, if they're a five, they may think of you as a three or a two. Good. Very good point. Very good point. Thank you. That's a, that's another form of subtlety. I think that'll be helpful to people. Uh, and, and leave it to a, an engineer with an IT background to say 4.5. <laughs> I'm trying to keep the integers here and you're all of a sudden making the scale 10 points rather than five. That's okay. <laughs> but, but here's the way to think about it. So you, you end up with two columns of numbers next to each person or two numbers next to each person. And, and with the number of people, you've got two columns and the, all the numbers are one to five. If there are, if you have a a three, four, or five, um, make you call that strong. And if you have a one or a two, make it weak. I know that's not the finest possible way to do it. We'll share later how to make this more detailed and more specific, but we don't have five hours for this cast. So for now, three through three, four, or five, give yourself a strong one or two, give yourself a weak score. If you want, when you do the, the, uh, the, the matrix, you can give someone who's a two, you can put them actually above the two mark or across from the two mark. Um, but, but again, we're not going to provide that fine of, of guidance. Okay. So basically if, if Ozan is going to, uh, um, um, try to persuade somebody whom he gives himself a five in relationship and a three on expertise, um, then he would say, I'm strong and strong. If he gives himself a five on relationship and a two in expertise, he would be strong in relationships and weak in expertise. And that just gives you a place. It just tells you where to put each person. And so your matrix is going to be populated with people's names next to the dots, if you will, if you think of it as being graph, um, with people's names in each of the four boxes, hypothetically, if they're all spread out across all the boxes. Simple as that. Okay. All right. So sorry. In a way, maybe we should have had the three parts here. One is describing the matrix. Two is <laughs> describing the measurement, and then three, and then part three is really our part two, which is how to use the matrix. Well, that concludes this week's discussion. We'll finish this up next week. So until then, here's hoping that your week is great. We'll see you next week. So long. <laughs>